increasing regulation, market saturation, and rising interest rates. Still think short-term rentals make sense? You're not alone. Join industry experts Bill Faith and Kenny Bedwell as they discuss how you can invest while still staying ahead of the curve, identifying trends before they happen, or blowing them away outright with their insights. This is STRonomics. Are you looking to invest in short-term rentals in North Carolina or South Carolina? There's a lot of great markets there, but even more important the markets are that you find the right agent. And that's where my man, Tyler Kuhn comes into place. I personally used him for three purchases totaling over $3.5 million. And I would not look to anybody else. Just jump down into the show notes right here below the podcast, click on the link and book a free discovery call with Tyler to explore the opportunities in both North Carolina and South Carolina today. The SDRnomics podcast, my name's Bill Faith and this is Kenny Bedwell. And he's from? Oh, I'm from Buffalo. Buffalo, SDRinsights.com. <laughs> We're here at my Build Short Term Rental Wealth Mastermind in Orlando, Florida. First time that we've ever done this, once together. Yeah. Uh, actually physically. And two, we've got about 20 of our members that are here that are going to be asking questions live uh, and interactive. Janine, are you ready for the first question? Yes. Awesome. There you go. My first question was, I am starting to see assumable financing become a thing in property listings. I am curious how to factor in, when I run numbers, if you're able to assume a rate of, let's say, 3% on assumable financing and how you would be able to adjust your numbers. <laughs> Where's the bank whisperer yeah, I know, right? for that question? So let's be a little bit more specific. So you're looking, let's say you're looking to buy a $500,000 property, right? You're going to assume the loan. Yes. Their rate is at, let's just say it's at 3%. Started at a 30-year AM. You might have 28 years left on that amortization. Correct. What's your question? So if you're able to get something at, let's say, if they want 500,000 for it, there's a $400,000 loan. So mm -hmm. the 20% is roughly already kind of baked in. You still have to come up with $100,000 in order to assume the loan and get them at their sales price. But if you're paying 3% versus if you were to get a commercial loan at let's say seven or 8%, what's the value that you can assign for that kind of uh, financing terms or should it not matter? So I think at the end of the day, you should be looking at the overall numbers. So the thing really is you're getting a better deal where if you were to purchase the property and pay the 7% interest rate, so you've got that 4% delta from the 3% that you're acquiring to the 4% because you're still going to pay the same amount of cash, right? So let's say that you have $400,000 note amortized over 20 years or let's say 28 years and you're saving 3%, that probably could be roughly... 400 to $700 a month? Sure. What'd you say? I mean, I'm not yeah. an expert in calculating, you know, I'm a, I'm a dropout. He's the data guy. He should actually be answering that question. <laughs> but that's gonna increase your cash on cash. It's gonna increase your internal rate of return. It's gonna increase your cash flow. So I would do everything you can. Kind of like we were talking about earlier today, right? When we're looking at the foreclosures and those types of options, that's a great place to potentially be able to go in and assume that loan. So, but I think that kind of ties into that creative financing. I think Kenny and I are pretty good at that. I wouldn't want to go any farther. That really is a John Hodge bank whisper type of question. Uh, but at the end of the day, that delta, it's really just about the numbers. So instead of having a $2,900 a month payment, you're going to end up probably around you know, $23 to $24.50 
So obviously those cash on cash cash flow is gonna increase. If you're assuming a loan, you're not putting a hundred grand down on top of it, are you? That depends. It, it depends. Because you then could, your loan would go from 400 to 300. <clears throat> so you're still going to have to meet an appraisal. You know, that person may want, like we were talking about today, it might be in pre-foreclosure. The bank may want, you know, to run credit. There's a lot of ifs in this scenario, right? So that's why I think kind of looking at hard numbers on that acquisition, you're going to have to pay costs or you're going to have to pay costs to assume that loan to the bank. It's not just going to be 100%. Real quick, though, to kind of follow up. I think something important with that too is when you assume a loan or something in pre-foreclosure, a lot of times that closing process is drawn out. Mm -hmm. And so that can also impact your numbers in terms of, you know, when you expect a cash flow in your timing of purchasing that property. So if you wait, like for example, last year, you know, I closed on my property uh, at the end of April and the season starts, like the, the busy season when we make all of our money starts at the <clears> beginning of May. Well, I still had to get the furnishing, I had to get the place ready. That took over a month and I didn't get my first bookings until after that. And so I missed like two months of like full revenue and which, you know, ate at what my cash on cash return was overall, you know, in the first year. So the timing too should be, I think, calculated in that as well. Speed so. is so critical. I mean, I'm gonna go back and share the Banner Elk property. You know, prior to me buying my Banner Elk property, my average close to launch time was like eight days for every single property. Me and my wife have the U-Haul trailer. We drive there, wherever it is. We're ready to do everything. We have five people ready to set up, do all that type of stuff. Banner Elk took me two and a half months. So now I look, I missed all of May. I already have $19,000 on the books for this May, right? So let's just say that I think that's for, I don't know, 11 days? I'm not even 50% occupancy yet. I'm probably gonna do 30 to $35,000 in revenue in that month. So I go back and look at, shit, I lost 30, 35,000 bucks. Plus the frustration, and I'm making my mortgage payments during that time, and I've got the lawn care. It cost me $400 a week during that time right. to mow my one and a half acre backyard. So I'm looking at every one of those line items, utilities, propane, the labor cost, I got screwed by my cleaning and, and company that I had. You know, then I had to wait for like two weeks once we were done to find and go through the vetting process. So it was almost like a six week process. So you gotta really look at all of those components when you're factoring that into your performa. Speed on the close, exactly your scenario, mine's completely different. Now if you took an extra 30 days on your scenario and then you go through my scenario, now you're like close to four months before you're even cash flowing. So we have a lot of people investing in Gulf Shores. It seems to be a very, very big market. Would you still invest in it now since there are so many people there? Well, I mean, I think it depends on the, the deal, you know? Um, <clears throat> if something came up, like, uh, in fact, my, so my family was traveling to the other from there and they have some friends who have a condo there and they're, you know, it's this like small two bedroom condo. And I'm like, well, where, and they're thinking about selling it. I'm like, well, where is it? And they're telling me the location, and I'm like, okay. And I'm like, do you know what you're gonna, you know, ask for? And they, not yet. But we really don't want to go through a realtor. We don't really know what it's worth yet. And I'm like thinking, okay, this could be an opportunity. You know, it could be. It might not. Um, I, I lean towards probably not, but uh, especially with the condition of it. But there's, if there's ever an opportunity for me, it's what is the probability of finding a deal that fits my criteria in that market. 
And should I invest time into looking for, for those deals in that market? If the probability of finding a good deal in that market is pretty low, then I'm not going to look there. The deal that we saw earlier today, that $500,000 acquisition, one of our mastermind members has somebody knocking on that door as we're probably speaking right now. That's a, it's a, a friend in a relationship because the deal's so good, he found somebody, a relationship he had in Maryland that was willing to drive, representing him, to go talk to that seller because it's in pre-foreclosure, right? And try to buy it before it gets to foreclosure. That would be an absolutely sweet deal. Gulf Shores, I have a lot of properties there. I will tell you, I do use that tool right there, STR Insights. I think that the market is the gateway to opportunity. We don't invest in the markets. I can identify, like Kenny talks about the probability in a market. If there's extremely low probability, I'm probably not gonna go and invest there. Gold Shores has a very high probability of investability, right? So that's kind of that gateway to see the opportunity. And if I compare that to Destin or Miramar or Seaside, I don't have the kind of money to invest down there, right? So then it's a deal by deal proposition. So I think too many people get scared off market saturated, you know, it's too expensive, whatever it is, bullshit. It's deal by deal, performa by performa, and there's nothing else that matters. Do you agree or disagree? 100% agree. Awesome. <laughs> so Kenny, you kind of talked earlier about um, how you updated your uh, website. Did you talk a little bit to <clears throat> how, what you, the changes you made in that? Are you talking about direct booking website? Oh, SDR Insights. Oh, uh, do you mean where we're going with it or what we're trying to do? Something about did some big updates. And you showed us a little bit earlier about the maps and whatnot. But what have you seen as it, once you started it, um, how you've updated it? How it's progressed, how yeah. It's progressed. So I'll keep it more, try to keep it more on the educational side. But the, the point of SDR Insights and really what we're trying to do with it is have it focus on helping investors save time when trying to identify deals. So whether that's adding new map features and visuals so that you can quickly identify or dive deeper into markets by breaking them down by property type and tier level and waterfront versus non-waterfront, all these different metrics that we really look at when we're trying to identify a market or where within a market is doing well is what we're trying to help people do. So, and I think that's, you know, if I keep it more high level here, um, I think that's really the best way to, to evaluate. It's not just, let me go and invest in any market. You need to identify where within the market that succeeds, what are the opportunities within, and then focus on those areas. I'm getting, you know, I pushed out this, this report, you know, top markets for 2023, and, uh, I, you know, I'll pick on this market, Broken Bow. I'm not going to pick on Logan, Ohio. So. <laughs> uh, you mean so, you're not going to be the Blue Ridge hater on today's No, episode? I will not. Or the Blue Ridge hater. But Broken Bow. Broken Bow is a massive market. And there's a lot of good opportunity there. But there's a lot. I've gotten a couple of emails from <clears> folks <throat> who've invested in that market recently and aren't able to pay the mortgage. They're not making enough. And when we look at their property, they're beautiful properties, but they're in the wrong locations. Yep. And so... They, they just heard, and I ask them, why did you invest there? And they say, well, I heard that Broken Bow or insert the other market um, was a great market. And so I just went and found a property there. And when they ran their analysis, they were just running it based off, you know, general numbers that they were given. They didn't understand to dive in deeper. So it's, it's, 
anyway, what we're trying to do and, and really what investors should be doing is identifying the micro markets, <coughs> we've talked about this before, within and then, you know, searching those and, and for looking for deals. I mean, to piggyback on top of that and go back to your question, Lori, is Gulf Shores investable. Gulf Shores is different than Fort Morgan, Alabama. I, I own a property in West Beach and I manage six properties in that area, every one of them crushing it. The property I told you that's done now $194,000 in eight days in bookings, it's in West Beach. I own a property and I manage three in Fort Morgan. My very first short-term rental was in Fort Morgan. The days are different today than even it was in 2018 and 19 out there. Just went through the worst winter ever. I have a three bedroom, two bath beachfront property in Fort Morgan that has no, actually I think I took a couple of, I think I have two or three future bookings. Am I worried? No, because as Kenny said, that lady or whoever in you know, Broken Bow can't make their mortgage payment. They need to sell, they might not have the cash to support it. I can support it. I budgeted for that, I've saved my pennies. But that doesn't mean that I would never invest into Fort Morgan. I think it's a short term blip. I know I'm gonna be fine come March, April, May, June, July, August, probably all the way through October. But what I think is probably fundamentally changed is Gulf Shores and Fort Morgan are not gonna be 11 to 12 month markets anymore. Mm -hmm. They're gonna be nine month markets. And December and January and February is gonna be a big challenge. So that means I've gotta really focus on those compression events that we've talked about. And I'm not talking huge, I'm talking the 4,000 person soccer showcase I took my daughter to in Foley the first weekend of, of December. And nobody knew about it, except for me. I'm not saying I'm the only one, but I wouldn't have known about it if she wasn't participating in it. So I sent that email out to my guests and boom, every house but one, every house but two was booked. That three, two in Fort Morgan didn't get booked. I think you have to do super deep research and deeper than STR insights. I pulled my money and moved it from Fort Morgan into West Beach when I found out about the airport going from private to public. March 1st, the first public flight lands at Gulf Shores International. It's not Jack Edwards Airport anymore. That's gonna fundamentally change the market. For those of you that have been invested in Fort Walton, Destin, PCB for 20 years and you know what happened in Fort Walton and you see what happened you know, when Southwest came into PCB, yeah. I've been investing long-term into the future down there because of that airport opening. Broken Bow, hopefully whoever you're talking about can hold on till the casino opens that just got approval. Do people know about the casino? Most people had no clue about the casino that's gonna get open in Broken Bow. There's a massive golf course development that's going into Broken Bow. That alone will bring other infrastructure and it's, they're gonna be somewhat of traffic drivers. But if you're building that $1.5 million house in Broken Bow, you're looking at Highland Park, University Park in Dallas. You're looking at these small micro areas of that buyer persona that's gonna drive that two, three hours to get out there. Is that a casino client? Probably not. No. Maybe if you have that two or three bedroom that's at two or $300 a night, but I don't think those traffic drivers are gonna affect those thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollar a night rates in broken bow. So you gotta, once again, we, it's like a broken record, knowing your avatar, your ideal buyer, your buyer persona. Identify the market, there's no better tool than SDR Insights to do that. See the opportunity, analyze the property, then make sure the traffic drivers 
are commiserate with your ideal buyer and the rate that you're going to charge in that property, deal by deal. Are you looking to purchase an STR in the Western North Carolina mountains, the high country, maybe even on, on the beach of North Carolina and the OBX or all the way down into Hilton Head, South Carolina? My man, Tyler Kuhn from Savvy Realty has you covered. And one of the things that I love about Tyler is he specializes in short-term rentals. He takes a no BS approach, is honest, and is filled with integrity. How do I know this? Because I've used Tyler on three transactions totaling almost three and a half million dollars, and he has absolutely crushed it for me. Look, if you're not sure where you should invest, he's based out of Asheville, North Carolina. He helped me invest in Banner Elk, North Carolina, and Beach Mountain, North Carolina. He's not only just a real estate agent that specializes in short-term rentals, Tyler is also an owner of short-term rentals and owns a management company. So one of the biggest hurdles for us mentally is to get over, how do I find cleaners? How do I find handymen? How do I find a plumber? Well, you know what? Tyler's dialed in and he helps his clients navigate those issues. So if you're looking to invest pretty much anywhere in the Carolinas, Tyler Kuhn from Savvy Realty is your man. And right now he's actually doing a free discovery call. You can click down on the link in the notes and set up your free discovery call with Tyler today. Do you think Vegas is a good market? <laughs> Go ahead, well, Kenny. So <laughs> Vegas, there's, I guess there's different, there's like sub markets within Vegas. So Las Vegas proper, the strip has some very strict short-term rental regulations. A lot of people are inv investing into the MGM property. Is that what you're talking about specifically? Yeah, yeah, that's how they go into We had a mastermind member yep. that just bought two. Yep, and so there are a couple you know, areas. The numbers are good. I wouldn't say they're great or spectacular because the prices, a lot of people have priced in short-term rentals when they know, oh, I can short-term rental this. Let me sell it at a premium. But the North Las Vegas area is where most of the short-term rental, legal short-term rentals are and they perform well. They're one of the, it's one of the more like better urban markets because they allow it. Is that Henderson area? I think Henderson's like it's the like South. 15. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, but that's also like a less attractive area. So it, it's kind of hit or miss. You, you gotta be careful. And I mean, if you can get into that one building and the deal makes sense, then go for it. So once again, property by property. Okay. Right. So you got people in your short term rental group that do mountains, that do lakes, that do the beaches. If you looked at the group as a whole and stay in that, let's say, 500 to $1 million price range, what area does the best? Over a 12-month period? Over a 12-month period of time. From today? I mean, like, if we were to buy... To... Let's pull up the benchmarks and take a look. Oh, but they're empty. So are you talking about, like, if I were to go in one of these markets and buy today, where everybody is, or... The last year, but you oh. get to have spent four hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars. That's where you are. What performs better, the mountains, a lake, or beach? I'm gonna. I'll. I'll start for a second and tell you which I believe performs the worst. Thank you. I think the worst performing is going to be lake, hands down. Yep. Because we get crushed during the winter, mm -hmm. and you know, there's just, nobody's going to a lake when it's thirty-one degrees outside. They can't even enjoy the fire pit, let alone go cl to close to the water, on the water. Um, I'll let you think about that for a sec, because I own in both, and 
I would today, meaning like the next 12 months, not like the last 12 months, and probably for the next 36 months to 60 months, next three to five years, I, it's a general question, I would take the mountains. Because there's more distinct winter and summer seasons. You've got mountain bikers, if it has whitewater rafting. Once again, all those traffic sources that we need to sustain during the summer. And then if it has skiing in the winter, if it's mountains with no skiing, I'm not interested. So that's one of the reasons I invested in Western North Carolina. One, because of that fucking tool again, right there, yeah. SDR Insights. <laughs> um, I didn't know about that market. Kenny presented it to me through SDR Insights. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you are a tool, <laughs> literally. <laughs> but here's the deal. The, the Arkells, who are like black diamond skiers, they're going to have zero fun at Ober and Gatlinburg. No question. They can have fun at the black on Sugar Mountain in, West, in Western North Carolina. They can enjoy Beach Mountain in Western North Carolina. It's not whitefish, it's not big sky, it's not aspen. But Ober sucks for skiers. So you have a different level of person that's going to Western North Carolina. So you can't do, in Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge in the Smokies, you can't go ATVing on all the trails. You can outside of Asheville, you can in Western North Carolina. So I'm looking in the mountains, but places that have more traffic drivers. So when I can really pound that ski market, and I'm paying probably 20 to 30% less in Western North Carolina than if I invested in the Smokies, I'm going to that specific mountain area. Does that make sense? So once again, it goes, the opportunity is in the mountains or the beach, but it comes down to, as Kenny said, the sub-market and then the individual properties, in my opinion. So I'm mountains because the beach right now is at standalone, without pool, without pickleball, without whatever, is not a strong enough traffic driver. Right. I think, I, so going back to the beginning, yeah, lakes are the worst because they, they typically cost the most. Being on the lake, kind of everybody's kind of understood that, and that's been priced at a premium for a while now. I rarely see a good, oh, wow, that's a good lakefront property deal. You know, they can be three even four times as expensive as properties that aren't on the lake. Um, and that's been going on for a while now. Uh, now between beaches and mountains, I think it goes back to the traffic drivers. So be careful, you know, not every mountain market has four seasons or even three seasons. They could be actually be very similar to a lot of beach markets, but this year alone, the trends and the data a lot of beach markets have seen truly two seasons of strong performance and then they just drop off. You know, two years ago, COVID going on, it was four seasons. A lot of you in this room- Almost have, every place was four seasons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of you in this room experienced that. And I think that's why the excitement of the beach, uh, you know, really grew and a lot of people invested in the beach markets. But we're going back down to the traditional, okay, summer, early fall and then that's it or spring i guess spring and summer into like maybe early fall and that's really it for the beach markets now does that mean there's bad deals there no it's just a lot harder plus they've been priced uh priced a lot of people out frankly the mountain markets though in my opinion are stronger right now with opportunity but that doesn't mean everywhere correct so 
you, like he's like he's saying you, the ski resort the national park the location the quality of the property the views if you don't have a, a mountain property that's that's got something like the views or the amenities or something unique to it compared to the other properties if you're in the the bottom of the valley with no views you know you're probably going to suffer long term this year next year it, it's going to you're going to start seeing a decrease in in uh, revenue so when I'm really looking at, okay, what would I pick today and focus on today out of what the group's invested in, it's the mountain markets. So but you kind of putting the data aside, we spent three and a half hours this afternoon talking about marketing, right? You have to find something marketable. If you can't find something to hang your hat on that's truly marketable or unique about a property, you should walk away with no emotion. And it's way more important today than it was in 2020, 2021, or 2022. So I'll just use the property that I have under contract in Montana. You remember when you ran that? Yeah. And it was like $90,000. It's a million dollar property that's gonna do $90,000 in revenue. There is no question in my mind I can do 200 on that property. And I look at our benchmarks and I look at his property in Hungry Horse, and if he can do 200, then I can do 200. Because of, has nothing to do with the cabin, has to do with the river, has to do with the lake, has to do with proximity to whitefish, proximity to the big mountain to ski, and proximity to the National Park of Glacier. Right, the advantage he has is I'm 45 minutes away from Glacier, he's like 45 seconds from Glacier. Right, so, but I've got that marketability with that view that outside shot that almost nobody in that market has. We saw his listing today. His view can't compare to mine. He's, but he's got an awesome lake and he's got access to Glacier. That's kind of what holds up his revenue. You got to think about really how valuable is that beach, is that river, is that ski resort, right? And how are you going to use that to generate revenue? Great question. So I've been thinking a little bit about um, the mountain and lake um, risks there or uh, some of the nuances of, of those two. For example, in the mountain markets, the ski market specifically, sometimes you have really great snow years and other times you have really drought. Even in, you know, I've lived in mountain markets in the west, but in the east coast where you're going to have a little lower elevation, have you thought much about, okay, if I have a really bad snow year, where we just don't really get anything. Even though they make a little snow, how that impacts your, yep. you know, your revenue. And then on a lake, if they have a really couple drought years in a row and that lake goes down on your lakefront, but all of a sudden you can't even get to your dock, how, you know, just evaluating that. And I just want to know your thoughts on that. So I believe the risk for not having snow is only on the West Coast. It does not affect snowshoe. It does not affect Ober. It does not affect Beach Mountain or Sugar Mountain. Sarah, how many times has it snowed on Beach Mountain? Twice. Twice. That's it this year. It is January. It's, almost, it's February, basically. February, yep. It's February 1st. The consumers that are going there are used to skiing on man-made ice. That's common, yeah. Aspen, Breckenridge, Keystone, Park City, wherever, Taos. You guys aren't skiing on ice there. So it's how the consumer is conditioned, right? It's just like we talked about earlier, like in those North Carolina, in Snowshoe, those North Carolina markets, beach markets, OBX, 
hey, do you guys include linens? Oh, do you have toilet paper and that type of stuff? They're conditioned to have to ask those questions because it's not commonplace, or at least it's not the rule in part of those markets, right? So it's all about customer conditioning, and I think you have to understand that when you're looking at those different markets. We've all had red tide at the beach as well. Thank God it only lasts for a few weeks, but that can be impactful. Or a hurricane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I went through Sally. I got zero damage on one house, had another one completely demolished. But you know what? I missed like, I only, I missed three and a half weeks of revenue because we couldn't even get access to the house. We didn't have power for 11 days. So a little bit, little blips. You have to worry about hurricanes. I think hurricanes are way more prevalent in the OBX than Beach Mountain not having snow because they have to lose power to not have snow because it's all man-made and the consumer is conditioned with that. Thank you everybody for joining us on this episode of STRonomics. I'm Bill Faith and this is Kenny Bedwell. See ya. On the next, ep <laughs> on the next episode. Thank you for listening to STRonomics. Stay ahead of the curve and subscribe today. This podcast is a hospitality.fm production.